You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, pandemonium of positively peppy and prancing podcast patrons, pufferfish and ponies. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 33, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your team of two times two of tenacious tutors. <laughs> I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. So I got an email recently from listener Vincent. He wrote in. and He his... is not a Nigerian prince. No, he is <laughs> not. Do not send him your money, Karen. Karen stop talking Don't to Don't do this to yourself again. <laughs> and his email was titled... Please help! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Again, Terry, what did I say? <laughs> and here uh, he said, "Dear Mr. Karen Chu, <laughs> dear my friend, Mr. Karen Chu, my friend." Uh, he said, "I was speaking to my Scottish coworker and told her I just got a Charlie horse." To which she looked at me with a very confused face. Any idea why it's called a Charlie horse? <laughs> she mm. thinks he's a brony now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know what it is. I don't know where it got its name. What is it? Well, it's, it's like when you get like a, a really bad muscle cramp in mm-hmm. your leg, yeah. right? I typically got them, like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, and I stretch all my muscles out and I stretch them all out after that period of inactivity and uh, I get a bad, that that is when I'll get a Charlie horse. It's an operation piece, right? From the game yes. operation. Yeah, yeah that's yes. how I will picture yeah. the horse. Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, well, I know it's shaped like a horse, but I have no idea There's why it's actually a doctor yeah, named exactly. Charles Horse. There's, <laughs> there's a little horse in your body. So here is actually one theory and I, I researched a little bit like a lot of colloquial terms you really can't pinpoint where it's from you know made Mm -hmm. popular by there's so many theories and this is probably the most popular and maybe accurate theory Mm -hmm. i mean there are other theories like there was a horse in a race got a leg (laughs) cramp was charlie yeah Yeah, exactly yeah so who knows uh but this is actually kind of based on a real person so charles gardner radborn he was an american professional baseball pitcher and this dude was a stud this is like you know in the the 18 late oh, okay. 1800s. So you could like throw like a 35 mile an hour fastball. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his nickname was Old Hoss. And he also suffered at that time, suffered a lot of leg cramps. Mm. And so a theory is old timey sportscasters would, or sports fan would refer to him as that old Charlie Hoss. And whenever he got leg cramps, maybe that kind of came into Charlie Horse Whoa. from <laughs> Charlie Hoss. Um, so that is one That's, theory. That sounds like as good an explanation as we're ever going to yeah, get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, and let's do our general trivia segment. Pop quiz, hotshot. Got a good random trivia pursuit card here. Get your buzzers ready. Let's start with Blue Wedge Geography. What London street was synonymous with British newspapers? Chris. Fleet Street. Correct. Mm. Fleet Street. Pink Wedge for pop culture. What is a seating assistant, an R&B singer, and a family written by Poe. Usher? Correct. Oh, yeah. Usher. Nice. Yellow Wedge. What food item was Roman poet Virgil talking about when he used the phrase e pluribus unum, which is out of many, one? Hmm. No. Pass. <laughs> I was going to say like a pomegranate, but then it just doesn't make any sense. It's really mm. random and weird. I mean, I know the saying. I yeah. didn't know yeah. that it was inspired by a piece what of or food. Salad dressing. 
Okay, I do not. I yeah. going to guess that. You know it or you don't, but now Wait. you know. Salad dressing. Hmm. Interesting. Anyways. Right, I feel like we got the answer to a different question, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. Misprint. Purple Wedge. What's the name of Garfield's teddy bear? Uh, Pookie. Yes. yes. Nice. Not normal. No, normal. No. No. His nemesis. His nemesis. His, the little cute cat. Yes. Green Wedge for science. What is the common term for pharyngitis? Uh, uh. A sore throat. Correct. Right. Orange wedge. Last question. Oh God. What video game designer created The Sims and Spore? <laughs> Chris Kohler. Will Wright. Correct. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. So this week, like our previous episode about bathrooms, where we took a tour around the bathroom, hmm. we're gonna take a tour around the office. So this week we're going to be talking about office, things around the office, and maybe inventions and cool factoids, things that you don't really think about. Well, I imagine that a lot of our listeners out there enjoy our podcast while they're at work. You know, you <laughs> may, else to do. Yeah, <laughs> can't, can't actually do work. I may as well listen to these nerds giggle. <laughs> a good many of you are sitting in a cubicle right now listening to our podcast. If you're like me, you revile that cubicle. <laughs> it, it is a little square prison, um, <laughs> the fabric covered prison. And uh, I have definitely had jobs where I sat in a cubicle. I'm sure we all have. What I like about the cubicle is this is another one of those things that really started with good high intentions and has just become as I say, reviled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a very carefully considered invention. The cubicle, as we know it, was invented by Herman Miller, who we all probably recognize whether we know the name or not. If you've ever seen an Aeron chair... Yeah, like office furniture. An Eames chair mm -hmm. or a Noguchi table, a lot of very modernist, very well-known pieces of furniture were all designed by the Herman Miller Corporation. And among the things that they, <laughs> for better or for worse, invented was the modern office cubicle. So in the 60s, they, the Herman Miller Corporation, they were really concerned with how offices worked, like how people interacted and how work gets done on a very philosophical level. So they were studying, studying offices with the help of psychologists and anthropologists and behaviorists and really trying to see what are people doing when they're in an office. They came up with the basic conclusion that in the 20th century, the amount of information and the kind of information that workers were dealing with was so much more and so much more varied than it was yeah. at any time in the past, but that the typical office layout hadn't really changed much. And they really felt that if you could change the way the office was set up, you could make work better and make work more efficient. In 1964, they introduced a series of office furniture called the Action Office. Oh. And the idea behind the Action Office was that it had furniture of different heights and different functions, and you could sort of move around the office, and, and they were trying to sort of encourage interaction with people and really give workers privacy when needed, yep. room to talk to other coworkers when needed, and it didn't sell very well. So they kind of mm -hmm. went back to the drawing board and came up with the very imaginatively titled 
Action Office 2. <laughs> the action <laughs> Now, the, the key element of the Action Office 2 was the cubicle, was the basic, you know, three or four wall cubicle, and it had all these things going for it. Wait, was, hold on. What well, was okay, the yeah. office like before? So let's back up. So, you know, I mean, the office before, for example, if you watch Mad Men, you know, rows of desks out in the open, oh. and then closed offices all along the ring was a very common layout. And so, you know, the Herman Miller researchers looked at this, and like, they kind of saw two problems. One is that all the people behind the closed doors in the offices weren't interacting with anybody. And then all the people in the open desks kind of felt inhibited from doing work that was maybe private. There were a lot of distractions. So their idea with cubicles in Action Office 2 was you had privacy when you needed it, you could reduce distractions, and you could have different cubes for different purposes. And most importantly, they hit on the idea of personalizable space. This was a really big thing. Wait, they didn't want that? They did want that. That you know, they really, one of the selling points of the cubicle was workers can put up pictures of their family and their calendars and things that really make it feel more Cat homey pictures. and make it personalized. You yeah. know what's funny is the things that I hung up in my cubicle when I had a cubicle were um, pictures that I grew to hate. I, grew, <laughs> like, I can't look at those pictures anymore. Because you're forced yeah. to look at them. There was a little bit of a philosophical clash in the designers at Herman Miller because one of the designers really started feeling like, I can see where this is going. This is going to be dehumanizing because... And he was right that a lot of very cynical employers look at as well. This is just a way to cram a lot of bodies into a very small space. Mm-hmm. And so they would embrace the idea of the cubicle, but not really the philosophy of the cubicle. It is and like a little mini prison. It was. And, you know, if you don't enhance it with these other free workstations and way to move around. So it, it really took off. I mean, it sold just millions and millions of units and oh. all of the offices were moving to cubicles. It was the wave of the future, you know, and they have stories of Intel, the Intel Corporation very famously was a proud adopter of cubicles. And there was sort of this attitude of like, well, look at these hip technological companies. Mm-hmm. Look at what they're getting done. And we should move to cubicles too. And, you know, over time, the, the philosophy part of it fell out and it just became a way to get bodies onto a floor. And I've been there. I've been in that maze of Intel cubicles. It's so crazy to me because like it, everything has to be labeled. So like all the zones are labeled with letters and then everything is labeled with numbers. numbers. And like on the, on the big poles, the support poles in the rooms, like, you know, the numbers are written there so it's like you tell people like oh yeah well i work at c58 right so they'll go down to c58 to find your desk because otherwise it's just completely it's not navigable that's not it's these just mazes mazes of cubes stretching as far as the eye can see so george nelson who was one of the original designers kind of got really disillusioned and you know he pointed out this works well for smaller offices it works well where you have a manageable number of people and he did not think that it scaled well to companies with hundreds and hundreds of employees and you know, in the 70s, writing about uh, the development of the cubicles, he was just this a scathing critique. He said that it had become ideal for the employer who wants, and this is a quote, corporate zombies, the walking dead, the silent <laughs> majority. Wow. <laughs> So tell us how you really feel. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Thanks and no thanks to Herman Miller for bringing the cubicle possibly to your world. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I guess. So I don't know about you guys, but one of my very frequent office activities is getting a snack or a soda from a vending machine. <laughs> that is like one of the highlights of my day. Are you I working hard it. or hardly working, Karen? Man, the <laughs> the joy of like scrounging for change. You know, you're like, wow, I got a dime here and a dime <laughs> here. Like, it's like I have enough change to buy a bag of corn nuts. And you know, <laughs> on really good days, you're like, 
oh, I can get a bag of sun chips today. And it's, to me, I don't know why, but I, maybe because I love food, but it's kind of like a little break. It's a ritual. I mean, it's, it you know, being in an office, especially. Treat yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and boy, these modern vending machines we have today are, you know, especially in the office or corporation setting are awesome. They accept credit cards now. Like it is crazy. And I remember back in the day, when vending machines just like physically dropped your can of soda from up top. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to junk. Yeah, you're like, oh, <laughs> oh. point it away from your face as you're opening it. <laughs> it's like explodes in your face. And now these bottles or cans are like being carried by a little vehicle in the vending machine <laughs> gingerly and smoothly down to the slot where you can uh, where you can get them out. Would you guys venture a guess on uh, about when the first vending machine appeared? Oh. You mean in an office or just anywhere? Anywhere. Oh, the invention I'm, of one. I'm going to guess the 40s. I'm going to guess early. I'm going to guess mm-hmm. 1940s. I'm going to guess early too. I'm going to guess like the 1800s. Which I know is a big window, but I think it's I, I think it's prior to when you think it is. Right. I think it's, it's going to be China old. in one thousand be, BC. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> in the pyramid, there was a vending. Thirty A.D. Oh, okay. uh, plus or minus a few decades. Okay, so right. so maybe even in the BCs, mm-hmm. the first reference to a vending machine was found in the works of Hero of Alexandria. Hero may sound familiar. He was a prolific mathematician. Mm-hmm. So if you're a math nerd, you're probably familiar with him. Credited with the square roots and calculating area of the triangle and imaginary numbers. But he was also a tinker and inventor. And uh, one of his contraptions was a very basic vending machine. Huh. And obviously it was not used in the office to vend sun chips. <laughs> uh, it was actually for temples. It dispensed holy water. Oh. oh interesting. So a okay. person would put a like a coin in a slot at the top and through like levers and counterweights, a little bit of the, the holy water would, would mm. come out. And it, it really kind of messes with your mind to think like now you can go get almost anything from a vending yeah. machine. But back yeah. then it was it was holy water. Wow. And of course, <laughs> when we talk about vending machines, we got to talk about the accidents that vending machines or, or, or the anger or the rage <laughs> oh, yeah. involved in vending <laughs> yep. machines. Yep. You know, sometimes it eats your money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you're getting a snack through the little spiral thing, it gets stuck. Yeah. And you're like... I see it. it. It's right there. You're tapping it and you're like, okay, I'm going to shake the machine just a little bit, but not like as much as like in the sticker warning with the guy. Yeah. I don't want it falling over on me. (laughs) Sun chips are being crushed to death by a mini machine. But at the same time, yeah, you can't stand the thought of the next person getting two bags. In a version of the 1988 Journal of American Medical Association, it actually documented 15 cases in which men trying to get a can out of a machine were crushed. And and the thing is with vending machines is the center, especially with soda machines, is that the center of gravity is abnormally high because all the, Mm. the sodas are stacked on top. Yeah. And so because of the the high center of gravity, a typical machine will fall over once it has been tipped over like only 20 degrees, like a little (laughs) small angle and the whole thing just falls on you. And a a large fully loaded uh, soda machine can weigh over 800 pounds or 400 kilograms. Um, so yeah, here's our official good job brain warning. If your vending machine eats your money or worse, your sun chips are stuck. Don't mess with it. It's not worth it. Don't tip it over. Leave it alone. Yeah, buy another bag. <laughs> yeah, just buy another just bag. Give the other bag to a friend or eat it. Buy yourself. like a pack of gum from the bottom row. Mm-hmm. They're heavier. 
I decided to look at popular culture, and, or I'm going to ask you guys questions about plot devices and movies that take place in offices. Uh, and I also want to know what year these movies oh, came out. Man. Okay, that okay. is because our that is our Achilles heel. Can we can we do that as a team? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Let's do this, guys. We do get yeah, asked these movie and year oh, my all God. the time. We're I mean, always one year off. So, first movie, first movie that came to mind for me, Office Space. Of course. All right, in Office Space, Ron Livingston and his coworkers smash what piece of office equipment? Karen. The printer. Yes. Yeah. PC load letter. So while they were doing that, there was a rap song playing in the background. Do you know what rap artist? Oh, the artist. Was yeah. it uh, the Ghetto Boys? Yes. So what year did um, Office Space come out? Oh, man. My judge. Okay. This was after Beavis and Bunny. Yeah, that's right. So like 99 or 2000 or something like that? Before. I want to say like 96. I'm feeling 96 maybe. I'm thinking. Okay. This is also on the rise of Jennifer Aniston too. That's true. That's right. Yep. Yeah. 95 maybe. Well, when did Friends start? It was probably either the first or second year of Friends. All right. Let's go with 95. I think it's a little bit later, but okay. 99. Oh! Wow. Chris is funny. All right. In the movie 9 to 5, Lily Tomlin's character (laughs) accidentally spikes her boss's coffee with what substance? I used to watch that movie as a kid. I don't remember what she spiked it with. Rat poison. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. What country singer is in the movie 9 to 5? Dolly Dolly Parton. Yes. I thought we were buzzing. I know. Yeah, we should buzzing. Karen gets the point. Yeah. What year did it come out? That was late 80s. Solid. No, I don't think it was late. I want to say like 83, 84. No. Yeah. yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> I think early 80s. Can I yes. trust Chris this time? It's, it's, it's early 80s. 84. 80. 80. Okay, early. Yeah. Early, oh, early. Yeah. We suck. <laughs> this is good practice. This yeah. is good practice. You guys are, this is what it's like at trivia. Yeah. <laughs> In The Matrix, Neo receives a, a package at his desk when he's working in the office. And inside the package, there's a cell phone. What company delivers the cell phone? FedEx? Yes. Oh. FedEx? Yeah. Huh. Do you know what kind of phone it is? It was a Nokia. Nokia, yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. 5330. Oh, I wasn't even going to ask that. 5120. <laughs> I don't know. And what year did The Matrix come out? I'm pretty sure that was 1999. I think that was 99. Uh, well, let's see. I got the... It was either 98 and the DVD came out 99? 98. Am I, I think Karen might be right. I think it might be 98. I, I'm going to go with 99. It's 99. Oh, uh, yeah, I knew it was 98 or 99. Don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> what movie takes place in the Merton Flimmer building, which was built by a sea captain who fell in love with a little person? It's not... Is it, <laughs> it Hudsucker? Is that from Hudsucker? No. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. <laughs> nope. It's the Merton Flemmer building, which was built by a sea captain who fell in love with a little person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is relevant. It just sounds relevant like to the building. Coen oh, Brothers yeah. or uh, Wes Anderson. Uh, yeah, or... I pass. Is it Elf? It's being John Malkovich. Oh, oh. okay, okay. That's so... weird enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason why it was significant that there was a little person because they had the floor that was a half floor. Do you know what floor number that? was no seven and a half yes um and what year did that come out oh man 97 98 i'm gonna say 97 and a half (laughs) (laughs) good guess 99 all right so what's the name of christian bale's character in american psycho patrick bateman 
Patrick Batman, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, it's Batman. It's Batman. Uh, what year did American, American Psycho? Psycho. Uh, I'm going to say 97. That early? I think it was. I'm going to say 2001. 2002. 2000. Oh, you guys are God. right in the neighborhood. <laughs> Always when you're on. Yep, yep. All right, and the last now one. you know. In what movie does Alec Baldwin's character explain the ABCs of real estate sales? <laughs> well, like Karen, <laughs> Karen. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And what are the ABCs? I don't know. I was Always a kid. Always be closing. Yes. What year? Oh, that's... Oh, I'm going to say... 91. No, it might even be earlier than that. 90. I'm going to say 90. 92. I, just like trivia. Just like trivia. We talk ourselves out of the right answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but my mom took me to watch that movie because she wanted to watch it, but I was like a little kid, and all I remember was like, it's a room full of angry men swearing, saying the F word. And it was not so really boring. Kid friendly. Yeah, it was, so they were just literally in a room saying the F word. I was like, what is going on? It's both boring and explicit. <laughs> Good quiz. Yeah, that was good that's good Even though oh, good job you guys <laughs> we'll keep working on the years thing <laughs> it comes up a lot yeah so we're going to have a mnemonic break today we haven't had one for a while and uh, i have to confess that i am somewhat of an african geography whiz kid she absolutely <laughs> is yes i made it my personal goal a few years ago because i figured most people are probably the least familiar with african geography uh, compared to other continents and I thought that that would give our pub trivia team like a, an extra edge. Oh, it absolutely has. I'm not going to spill all of my secrets, but uh, <laughs> some general tips on recognizing some of the, the more famous countries in Africa. Mm. So first off, let's, uh, let's do the row of African nations on the northern edge. Uh, starting where Africa kind of touches Europe, where the Mediterranean Sea starts from left to right. And here's a very, very easy mnemonic. It is most African tourists like elephants. That's M-A-T-L-E. Most African tourists like elephants, which I would say is true. Um, and that is Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, and Egypt. Egypt. Oh, that's good. That is a good one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the most Western and leftmost nation of the continent is Senegal. And an easy way to remember that is left, as you know, in the olden days, referenced as sinister. Ah. Sinister kind <laughs> of sounds like Senegal. That is good. I like that. Oh. And the most Eastern nation is Somalia, which has been on the news uh, recently. And it's shaped like a, like a weird boomerang on its side. So you have Senegal and they have Somalia on the other side. And pretty much in the exact center of the continent, Apli is the Central African Republic. Right in the middle is Central mm-hmm. African Republic. That's a good one. And uh, do you guys know what is the southernmost nation in Africa? This so. must be a trick, right? No, it's not. Oh, South, South Africa. Africa. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All of us are like, well, it can't be South Africa. Yeah, it is again. South Africa. Oh, okay. And so there you go. You have the northern edge, which is most African tourists like elephants, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, and Egypt. We got Senegal on the west and then we got Somalia on the east and the south. We have South Africa, and right in the middle is Central African Republic. So there's a couple countries. I have a lot of weird internal <laughs> mnemonics. Yeah, they're not fit for public consumption. No, they're yeah. they're just so completely ridiculous, and they live in my head. I mean, mm-hmm. things like, 
I recognize Cameroon because it looks like a macaroon. Oh, you know? I think it looks like an elf hat. <laughs> <laughs> there's a big lake by Kenya, which is Lake Victoria, and there are three little nations next to it. And from top down, it spells herb, mm. U-R-B, Uganda, oh. Rwanda, Burundi. Mm-hmm. So I have some of those. This, but like I over on the western portion, there's uh, Ghana, Togo, and Benin, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember a teacher told me that to remember as go to bed, GTB, <laughs> and they're right in a row, and they're so that's that one has stuck with me. And then Cameroon on the yes. on the other side, yeah, go to bed and eat a macaroon. Anyways, <laughs> maybe maybe one day I'll make a video of all how this plays out in my head. But it's very strange. It'd be really trippy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. All right, and let's jump back into our day at the office. (laughs) So we've talked about where we do our work in the offices and famous movies around offices, and I thought we could focus on some of the things that the we, finer things, some in of the life. things that we use in offices, like desk accessories. And so I was looking around my own desk and saw the ubiquitous roll of scotch tape. Yeah, that is probably in your desk drawer right now, uh, a staple of every office everywhere. Uh, I read recently uh, it was voted in a consumer survey the number one most uh, indispensable household object oh, or I, tool. You think? And I can believe it. And it's one of those things. I mean, I think we can all agree. Scissors, uh, you know, every, everyone knows like scotch tape is one of those things that is so successful. It's become the generic. Like, although we know it is a brand, it is a brand of the 3M Corporation. Wait, what? So Scotch Tape is a brand name. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. So yes. if you go by, if you go to, you know, I thought look, it was just ta- like kind of translucent tape with the with the nice mat like on one side, right? Yeah. yeah. Or and Kleenex. It's, right. If yeah. anybody can make that, but right or Q-tip or right, it's become right. a yeah, generic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. everyone, no one says, hey, can you hand me that roll of transparent tape? Yes. Cello <laughs> tape. Right. tape. Yeah, yep. especially in England. Right. Right. Um, so right, it's Scotch brand cellophane tape. Uh, you may not know, it actually has nothing to do with Scotland. It wasn't invented 
in Scotland or by a Scottish inventor. Yes. The name actually... Because you know Scotland makes awesome tape. They're known for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whiskey and tape. <laughs> uh, the scotch and scotch tape actually comes from a slur, a pejorative term for Scottish people. And the connotation that Scottish people are notoriously cheap in fact. So let's go back a little bit because you don't get this bit of history when you go to... And that might be why they don't say it in the UK. So, you know, it's it's similar to terms like you've heard, don't Welsh on a deal, right? Uh, Which is uh, a pejorative that Welsh people might make a deal and they're not honor it. Right, Right, or don't jit me, right? It's another one of these kind of cultural slurs, basically. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to go back to the uh, 1920s. And so there was an engineer... Can we not? (laughs) (laughs) The battle When even your tape insults you. The roaring twenties. <laughs> <laughs> Flappers. Flappers. Yeah. Racist tape. <laughs> well, you know, culturally insensitive. Oh, yeah. At, oh, at yes, best. True, yeah. True, 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 yeah. Sure. So there was an engineer named Richard Drew, and he worked for uh, 3M. And uh, <laughs> in the 1920s, uh, one of the things that he was uh, responsible for... I'm, like, I'm imagining... What could go wrong? Oh in man, this what story? is going to go wrong? Yeah, yeah what exactly. is going to happen? What bar fight yeah. ends yeah. up in this? And yeah, and he was their chief of ethnic slurs. <laughs> and they were all like, yeah. "Oh yeah, sure, that makes sense." Yeah, Scottish yeah, yeah. people are. Chief. You know yeah, this yeah. product that we have called Indian tape, guys. I think a <laughs> better name. So uh, one of the things that he was responsible for was uh, sandpapers. And 3M to this day, they do in fact still yep, make a lot yep. of sandpapers mm-hmm. and grits and things like that. So in the mid twenties, he was at an auto body shop testing out one of their new types of sandpaper and the auto body shop was using it and he noticed that some of the guys there who were painting a car had a really kind of cumbersome method for doing either two-tone paint jobs or for protecting the fine detail on a car like when you when you spray paint and so they basically had like heavy-duty craft paper and heavy-duty adhesive tape that they were taping up and painting over and sometimes it would pull the paint off when they were peeling oh. off right. because it wasn't purpose designed so Richard Drew he decided there's got to be a better way to do there's this <laughs> and in in pretty short order, he invented masking tape. So oh, cool. something that we all take for granted now. Sure. He's yeah. like the tape king. He is. He is the the, the grandfather of our he's like, he should of be the our tapes. Of one of my heroes, yeah. <laughs> so he's like, Grandpa. all right, I'm going to come up with some masking tape, which is pretty much what he did, and brought Based it back. Very weak adhesive. He right? brought it yeah. back to the auto body shop. Oh. And exactly right. Chris is kind of cluing in a little bit where we're going. So the first batch of it that he tested, he gave to the guys, and they tried it out. And there wasn't, basically, there wasn't enough adhesive on there to work mm-hmm. really well. The auto body painter said to uh, Richard Drew, take this tape back to those scotch bosses of yours and tell them to put more adhesive on it. The implication being they're stingy and they're chintzing and not putting enough adhesive on the tape. Even though... Even though it was the first round. Yeah. And, And, you know, it's debatable how angry the man actually was. Oh, yeah. yeah, But it was a a pejorative term that implying that scotch were cheap. And so they kind of, you know, in a tongue-in-cheek way turned that around and made that the brand name hmm. and called it Scotch that's, Tape. That's a ballsy move on their marketing but department. But that's the weaker though. glue tape. Well, so masking tape even now still has lighter adhesive, yeah. which is yeah. the whole point, so it doesn't stick. And they did. Yeah. They did refine the formula and mm-hmm. got it. So they, they did invent <laughs> yeah. proper working those, masking tape. Those cheap bastards figured it out. <laughs> so then a few years later, when they invented cellophane tape, originally introduced as... A scotch cellulose tape. Mm-hmm. Then they later changed it to scotch cellophane tape. And it was marketed 
almost exclusively to bakeries and grocery stores. Oh, to close boxes To close packages and, and cellophane oh, packages. And the appeal of it was, you know, largely that it was water resistant and like really quickly it kind of just caught on in households. And so again, this is 1930, you know, right in the middle of the Great Depression. And historians say like one of the reasons it really caught on in households was it was a really effective way of repairing things. You could repair books or toys mm-hmm. or household yeah. objects clear. and yeah. not need to go buy a new one and it's clear more or less fade resistant it doesn't yellow hands down the market leader in transparent tape world but some of the things that we really associate with it it's funny you know like that classic uh snail shaped dispenser they call it the snail dispenser oh that's cute that didn't come out until uh almost 10 years later the plaid the tartan design that didn't come out until uh it debuted in 1945 all this all of that came from a not so good word not yes (laughs) a slur on an entire nation of people Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the course of doing some research for this i did come across uh this level of detail apparently the plaid tartan design if you are interested is based on very specific it is based on a tartan from clan wallace so there you go wow Yes, they have have colored. There is a red version. There's a green version. Yellow version. Yellow version is my jam. That is my favorite (laughs) because that's double sided. That's right. That's right. And and you're absolutely right, Karen. They do. They they use the different tartans for the different tapes. You're right. The double sided is the yellow tartan. You're right. Um, you you mentioned the the ritual of the break of taking a break during the workday, and of course, what that brings to mind is the coffee break. So at this point, we pretty much expect our workplace to provide us with coffee. I mean, whether that is a, if you are on a job site and you have a certain break, uh, you know, of, of 10 yeah. to 15 minutes between morning and, and, and lunch or after lunch, or whether or not the coffee is just sort of available constantly, you can go get it. We pretty much assume at this point that whatever the job is from blue collar all the way on up, you know, that there's going to be coffee in the right. workplace. And one poll that I found online actually says that I couldn't find any corroborating evidence for this article, but one poll that I found online says 80% of U.S. workers feel more valued when their employer provides free coffee. At a cost-to-benefit ratio, it is said that it is one of the most effective ways to motivate workers and make huh. them feel more valued. It just is, to have coffee. Just to have yeah. coffee there for that. them. It I'll is better than any worker reward scheme you could you could think of. Just recently, Dunkin' Donuts, just this past September, uh, announced the results of a study that it had commissioned about coffee in the workplace. So this is some pretty good trivia. They surveyed people in all different jobs, f- figured out which group said that they needed coffee the most mm. to get through the day. Mm. And so this year's winners are the number one group that says they need coffee the most to get through the day is food service. The second group is scientists huh. say that more than almost anybody else, they need coffee to get them through their workday. Coming in third place was sales reps. Um, we gotta get their brains energized. Yep. So according, of course, to the National Coffee Association, of course there's such a thing, we aren't exactly sure how the the coffee break or the idea of giving your employees free coffee got started but we're pretty sure it was located in buffalo new york huh. hmm. so there's a little bit as there always is uh, a little bit of a fight over competing interests uh, who both lay claim to being the first coffee break the barcolo manufacturing company in buffalo says that in 1902, it officially introduced the first mid-morning and mid-afternoon breaks in which the <laughs> the company would prepare coffee, uh, and then the employees could take a break and pay for the coffee themselves and drink it. Oh, um, pay for it. So the Barcolo Manufacturing Company has, they, they maintain that to this day, like this is when we started this. 
Does anybody know what the Barkalo Manufacturing Company makes? Do they make Buffalo bar- Wings? Barka loungers? They do. They make oh, Barka loungers. Yes. <laughs> so there's also a defunct Buffalo-based company called Larkin, and a historian, reported by National Public Radio a few years ago, searched through its ledgers and found an entry on the books for quote free coffee for employees. This was in 1901. Wow, um, the year before. Now. They don't necessarily know if Larkin had instituted the coffee break specifically, as Barcolo said that he did, or whether they had just gotten free coffee. But we do know that Larkin and Barcolo had actually done business together, so there may have been some inspiration there. Also, whenever I talk about Buffalo, New York, I always think about the sentence... Wings. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, the the, the common English language sentence, Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. Buffalo. So I love this, this sentence, which basically means it is a grammatically correct English language sentence where Buffalo eight times. And it basically means it's three meanings of the word Buffalo, which is Buffalo, as in the city in New York, Buffalo, as in bison, and Buffalo, which is a verb that means to bully. Right. And the sentence means bison from Buffalo who are bullied from bison from Buffalo or who are bullied by bison from Buffalo bully bison from Buffalo. Oh, <laughs> I know. It's so sad. It's the circle of violence. It's, it is the yeah, circle of violence. It's what happens. You're bullied and then you bully right back. Yeah. So Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. Buffalo, Buffalo, Buffalo. Uh, moving right along. That has nothing to do with anything. I should also throw this in. There is a town called Stoughton, Wisconsin. And this is from the, the official webpage <laughs> of the, city. Of the uh, town okay. Okay. of Stoughton, Wisconsin. Many Norwegian immigrants came to America to work at the wagon factory. Along with these hardworking men came their hardworking wives who began working in the tobacco warehouses. Though these women were working outside the home, they still had to tend to their domestic responsibilities. So, they requested an afternoon break to check on the children, start dinner, and have a cup of coffee. These, quote, coffee breaks made Stoughton the birthplace of today's coffee break, (laughs) an honor that is celebrated each year at the Coffee Break Festival. Whoa! This sounds like a stretch to me. This sounds like a big old stretch. I just want to know what they do at the Coffee Break Festival. It's it's a coffee festival. It only lasts 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, they do have the annual Coffee Break Festival, and if you ask them, they invented the coffee break. If you ask people at Barcolo, they invented the coffee break. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the chart topping family road trip trivia podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. <laughs> The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages, teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures. Man, I want to go for a coffee break now. I know. <laughs> Lots of office talk. And Colin, you got one last quiz for us? I do. So now that we've uh, kind of wrapped up the office here, we will close back with a uh, general interest science quiz. So the name of this quiz, appropriately, is Science! Science! All right. So this will be some uh, general interest science, astronomy, biology, you know. Uh, get your buzzers ready cool. and buzz in if you think you know it. What are the four precious stones? 
There are only four? Chris. All right, let's see. Diamond. Diamond. Ruby. Yes. Emerald. Yes. And sapphire. Correct. Two of these stones are actually the same mineral. Does anyone know which two stone, which two of those are? I'm going to say that I think that ruby and sapphire are. Absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. You are some kind of precious stone wizard. <laughs> <laughs> the stone sorcerer. Ruby and sapphire are both forms of corundum. And what makes them different is the impurities in them. Mm-hmm. And if there's, That gives them the color. That's right. That's right. So corundum that has a high concentration of chromium is red, and those are called rubies. And basically every other color of gemstone quality corundum is a sapphire. There's mm-hmm. one really, really rare one called a podparacha, which is a pinkish orange. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, sapphires and rubies are the same mineral. All right. How fast does the Earth rotate? So in other words, if you were floating above the equator, how fast is the Earth moving by? You want this? And you can round it off. Oh, okay. Well, once every 24 hours. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you want it in, like, miles per hour? In miles like... per hour. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm like... dealing with three professional smartasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in miles per hour, how fast is the Earth well, rotating? And you can round it say off. I it's, like, 23 hours in a bit, because that's why we have a leap year. <laughs> uh-huh. So you could figure it out if you knew the uh, circumference of the Earth, because mm-hmm. as Chris said, it goes by once every 24 hours. That's true, yep. I don't know. But I don't want to. Take a guess. It's a nice round number. <laughs> Is it, Colin? It's basically 1,000 miles an hour. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so Earth is about 25,000 miles roughly in circumference, goes by roughly once every 24 hours. And you know what's, what's funny is, you don't feel it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, now no. that you've mentioned it, yeah. don't feel it at all. Well, I like to sit so I'm facing the direction it's rotating. I find it much more It's a really oh, yeah, yeah. smooth ride. <laughs> a little bit over 1,000 miles an hour, yes. What is the difference between magma... And lava. <laughs> magma. Magma. Magma is when it's inside the earth, and lava is once it's come out of a volcano. Correct a again. You are like a geologist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not know that. I took, I, I took Geo 1. Yeah. If I, it's underground, it's magma. If it's above ground or coming out of a volcano, it's lava. I would have lava. guessed like magma's like hotter. Like, mm-hmm. I don't Different know. chemical composition. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Oh. What were the first words? Spoken over the telephone. <laughs> oh, right. Um, God, is it, uh, it's like, come here, I need you, or... Uh, uh, so close, hello, yes. Hello, yes. Yeah, it's, what, uh, what the it? first words were, Mr. Watson, come Watson, here. Watson, come I here. I want to see you. I want to see you. Which was oh, Alexander right. Graham Bell talking on one end to Mr. Watson in the other room, yeah. basically. Yeah. All right, now I've given each of you guys a uh, token here. Uh, representing one of three oh. possible answers. Gold. Okay. okay. One represents lead, and one represents platinum. Sure. All right. All right. Now, so you guys each hold up what you think the correct answer is. Which of these metals is the most dense? Gold, lead, oh. or platinum? Get your answers ready. And Karen says lead. Chris says lead. Dana says platinum. Dana is correct. Hey. Oh. Platinum is. Platinum is just a little bit denser than gold, even. Oh, okay. uh, and they're both a good bit denser than lead. But all three of them, all three of them super heavy. Yeah, mm. yeah. So speaking of planetary rotation, what is the only planet in our solar system that rotates clockwise? And other planets don't? They all don't. If you were looking sort of top down from... The North Pole of the Sun, in other words. <sighs> Only one planet rotates clockwise. Yeah, I mean, I've heard this trivia before, but I forgot the answer, of course. Um, is it Neptune? No, it is not Neptune. No, okay. Jupiter. Not Jupiter. We're getting close, oh. though. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> saying because it's Saturn. 
No, it is Venus. I was thinking maybe the size kind of right, played right. a part. No. I think this is a really good pub quiz one, yeah. It rotates clockwise? It rotates clockwise. And every other planet rotates counterclockwise. That's right. That's Why? Right. That's a good question. That would be a question for the uh, <laughs> for the a, astronomers for, in yeah, our listening audience. Yeah. For a scientist <laughs> yeah. to answer Quick that one. Tweet Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, we'll close it out with this one. Long before we had airplanes and bullets, what simple item is accepted as the first human invention to break the sound barrier? Before, so no planes and not no an bullets. airplane, not a bullet. Mm. This Chris slingshot. Not a slingshot. Oh, would that count as a bullet? Also, it would have to go so fast. <laughs> this is an item. High lie. This is an item that you might see in a circus. Oh, oh, oh I know. Do it's, it. It, okay. Chris. It is a whip. It is a whip. Oh, okay. yes, yes. Of course. It's it's the actually... crack of the whip. When you yeah. crack the bull whip, the very end of the tip of it is moving faster than the speed of sound. Yep. And that's oh. that crack sound is yep. a yep. little sonic boom. So, sorry, what was it? <laughs> crack. <laughs> I was like, trapeze doesn't make sense. <laughs> <A> trapeze. <laughs> you know, I wish I could share what you like what was going on in my head. Like the imagery I had like a bear a on a really ball. fast elephant. I had a, I had a dog on a little a a lady on a horse. Like, I was thinking about clowns. The world's fastest clown. clown <laughs> the world's fastest clown. I don't know. This is just, just what popped into my head. <laughs> I like how it's, you may see this at a circus, but the answer is the world's fastest, fastest clown. clown. It's like, where else would you ever see that? Right. You should have said you might, you might have seen this in an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> the oh. fedora. Yeah. Too easy. Yeah. Yeah. Fedora. That's the hat. His hands yeah, yeah, shooting yeah. out to grab the fedora. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Colin. That was an awesome quiz, even though I totally bombed it. But that's okay. I'm not going to let it get to me. And we have a new listener challenge. And this is the special Bonobos listener challenge. Randomly selected winners will get a, a Good Job Brain swag prize pack and also a Bonobos prize for $50 off your order. So Ooh, it is a big deal. That's worth $50. <laughs> Guys. 50 real dollars. Yeah, I did some math and that's 50 off. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about our crazy adventure this past weekend. Guys, it was pretty nuts, huh? Mm-hmm. Totally. So we all had to travel for a wedding because Dana was a bridesmaid again. She's been in so many weddings. She has so many outfits. It's completely ridiculous. But when we got to Ohio, we actually ended up witnessing a crazy accident where a train got derailed and found out the train was carrying an alien that landed on Earth. That was messed up. You know, we were freaked out, so we decided to leave and ended up in nearby Detroit, where, Chris, you, uh, we need to make some extra money, and you were engaging in some underground rap battles. I'm not very good at it. Against the odds. (laughs) Against the odds. We we won some extra money, and we decided to splurge and uh, made our way to London, where we had a run-in with a zombie attack, and we had to hide out in the London underground. We made our heroic escape and ended up in a plane for Japan. And when we landed, uh, trouble ensued as a village asked us to find a group of heroes to help them defend their village against bandits. It was a tough battle, uh, but the village was safe, so we tried to get back home to America. 
since we have depleted all of our funds, Colin here had to resort to using his big brain to count cards and play blackjack in Las Vegas. You guys were lucky I was along. I know. I'm telling you, it was crazy. So the question for you guys, listeners, is how would you sum up our adventure? You can email us at gjb.podcast at gmail.com. And your deadline is October 22nd, 2012. So that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you guys learned a lot about coffee breaks, uh, scotch tape vending machines, and movies that take place in offices. <laughs> and you can find us on Zoom Marketplace, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on our website, which is goodjobbrain.com. And uh, check out our sponsors at bonobos.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.